Hello and welcome to episode 115 of The Winning Agenda. My name is Jesse Marshall and I'm here with the one and only Wilfred E. Horrig. How are you, Wilfie? Yes, your favourite biroid. I mean, if, That's anyone, right. if anyone has any more favourite biroids, maybe don't tell me. Like, I'm a bit fragile about that. Yeah, but feel free to let us know who your second favourite biroid is. Yes, as long as it's not me. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> positivity only. That's that's us. But yeah, things are going well. Um, I, I hear that you uh, attended another store championship last weekend. Yes, coming out of uh, semi-enforced retirement, I guess. Um, due to the fact. Well, that, because you'd already won a store championship. Yeah, right? exactly. That's that's what I mean. Semi-enforced, like. Um, but yeah, the store. I played the store champs. Basically, the reason I went to the store champs was because it was at a store called Spill Deluxe. Um, shout out to Spill Deluxe. Uh, and I've been saying for about two years now that I'm going to go to one of their tournaments sometime. Um, and it's in a very nice location. They rented a function hall above a cafe in North Melbourne, which is quite close to the Melbourne CBD. Um, and it was a great time. That's great. And you uh, did the ultimate um, indignity. You pluck blocked someone. Uh, did I pluck? Uh, I did. Uh, did I pluck block someone? Um, as in, I already had a pluck, or as in my yeah, as in you already you already had a pluck, and yet, and so there was no reason for you to want to win the final other than to pluck block them. Oh, I think my opponent in the final. Oh uh, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Yep, I I pluck. Yeah, I did pluck block someone. Right, of course. Yeah, I, I remember yeah. now. Um, I'll I uh didn't quite go the step of taking a selfie with my plaque and posting it on my opponent's social media pages all my opponent's social media pages all yeah all of my opponent's social media pages that's right so you, you didn't do that no um although, so it wasn't the ultimate plaque block yeah i guess was, i yeah. i suppose i could have uh you know, done some hacking or hired someone to do some hacking so that when my opponent went to any website, it just redirected to instead a photo of my face holding the plaque. Don't you think that would be a bit more of a plaque block? Um, I think you might want to be careful what you say, considering that Terminal Directive is coming out very soon and people might start getting a bit suspicious of rogue biroid activities. This is just unreal. I've done nothing to deserve <laughs> this. <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess all, your threats are uh, devoid of, somewhat devoid of violence at the moment, but um, we don't want to see them take that step and really cross that line. And I think it's a bit of a slippery slope is what I'm trying to say. I think so too. <laughs> Once you start uh, redirecting people from any internet web page to a photo of yourself taunting them, who knows what you could do, really? Exactly. Where does it end, Wolfie? Where does it end? Um, but yeah, so the Star Championships went well. <laughs> let's, let's just cut that off there for the time being, until we know more about the plotline of Terminal Directive, I think. Or until we hear back from your opponent that you have actually redirected every single web page to a photo of you holding the plaque. Anyway, um, so <laughs> at the Star Championships, I built some decks the morning of, which... Uh, you know, I try not to do, but you know, I had already won one, so I wasn't too fussed about my results of this tournament. But um, the only decks I had were still my decks from Worlds, so I figured maybe. So wait, I just want to pull you up there for a second. You said you weren't too fussed about your results at this tournament, but you plucked block someone. Those two things seem to be inconsistent. 
Um, so you cared enough about your results in the tournament to not concede in the final? Um, it never, if my opponent had asked, uh, regardless, <laughs> if my opponent had asked me to concede, if they really wanted the plaque, I would have given them the plaque, but that never came up. Anyway, we'll let my opponent weigh in on this in the comments or whatever, rather than speculating on what may or may not have happened. Um, but I built... But you built some decks. Yeah, I built some decks, and I'm trying to go over the decks that I built while being... So I guess I'm trying to say... Did you want to win games though? Because like you sort of imply that you built decks, not really caring whether you won. But I think secretly you wanted to win. Oh sure. I mean, obviously I wanted to win because I went to a tournament, and you know, if you check out the name of our podcast, I'm sure <laughs> everyone by now knows that we, you know, that we do go to tournaments wanting to win. But it wasn't like I had spent lots of time preparing and had already ha- had decks built. I suppose is the okay. point. I it wasn't like I, you know thought about what decks would be good in the meta at the moment and spent time testing them against one another and eventually came to a conclusion and that's why I took those decks. No, I took two decks because on the day I posted in our group, um, what decks should I play today? <laughs> and is that a bit of a different approach to what you'd usually take to a tournament? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, usually I try and at least have some idea of where the meta game is at. Like, it's not like I haven't played at all. I played a little bit on Jinteki, but nothing really, from my games on Jinteki, nothing really stood out to me. Like, I think the last game I played on Jinteki was, I might have talked about last episode, where I built a Brian Stinson deck. Um, and I still mm-hmm. actually think Brian Stinson is not as bad as I, I, I kind of panned him in our review, but. No, I've actually been playing a Brian Stinson deck too, and when you trigger him it's certainly pretty powerful yeah exactly like the upside is very high and i think as i said last time the fact that he's an upgrade really um is a like is probably the main advantage just and it's kind of weird to think about just because we haven't really had upgrades that act like assets in such a way before no um but yeah so i kind of have just been tinkering with things on techie and not really to any huge success, not not like I've been going on a winning streak and deciding that I've, I definitely have to play this deck or whatever. So, uh, so you were open to different ideas. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just like, I'll just play two things I haven't played before. So I played a Sunny Vamp deck that Alexis sent me. Um, yep. I think she's been playing it for a little bit, and I think she played the Store Champs today. Well, today when we're recording this, so we'll see how that goes. Um. And, and you played a railgun deck, is that right? I did oh, play no. a railgun deck. Um, uh, so explain what railgun is for those listeners. Oh yeah, sure. So it's uh, following along with the latest deck names. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a bit. Um, actually, this deck, this name makes a lot more sense than um, others have in the past. Uh huh. Like at least it has some relationship to what goes on in the game of Netrunner, rather than being named after the latest like meme or whatever. It could have been called like Trash Dog, for all we know. Yeah. Um, which is the hot new thing. Or maybe by the time this episode comes out, it won't be the hot new thing, but. Or like Salt Guy or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, but Railgun is Salt a. Bay, rather, I should say. A boom. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Yeah. Fundamentally a boom combo deck. Um, in the sense that you really don't have any ways to score seven points unless something very, very weird goes on. Um, but instead are relying on getting your opponent dead with boom. So that comes in a number of forms you can the main way to win is with power shutdown accelerated diagnostics because that lets you um like even if your opponent has a plascrete or a citadel sanctuary or something you can beat it even 
with not that many resources expended. Um, or you can, uh -huh. if they're not running, you can just naturally 24-7 boom them if you've scored two agendas. Um, yep. So the game plan is sort of your opponent, you're sort of relying on your opponent to run at an inopportune time because the deck is fairly fragile. You need to keep Accelerate Diagnostics, Power Shutdown, Jackson in your hand or Jackson on the board, um, which isn't the easiest thing to do nowadays. But mm. um, you're sort of hoping that your on the turns that your opponent does run are the turns where you're reasonably well set up to take advantage of that. Not necessarily by killing them, but like you're hoping that when you play a Sensi in a remote, for example, your opponent is too scared to run it, um, or like they choose to run it and you can kill them, or they choose not to run it and you can gain advantage with Sensi until they're eventually forced to run, or you can just kill them without having to run. So it's sort of like deck's fairly fragile, but um, each turn you're sort of presenting a threat that your opponent has to deal with, which is, I think, fairly good, um, a fairly good approach to take. Mm. And the fact that you have a way to punish passive runners and to pu punish aggressive runners gives the deck a bit of depth and versatility, I suppose, through different matchups. Yeah, I mean, it is very possible to kill them even if they don't run. You can just set up um, and accelerate diagnostics on the bottom of your deck, but it is very complicated. I would, I think, um, Dave Hoyland said that he was going to release an article. Was either, so maybe, yeah, he was either going to or has already released an article where he says he's going to write a lot about strategy just because, um, as with any accelerated diagnostics deck, like, you really need to know the lines before you try and execute them because it, the price of failure is very high you know your whole game plan is set up around that so you really need yeah. to know in what situations you can win what situations you need to wait and what and be trying to work towards the situations that lead you to victory throughout the whole game hmm. interesting um so how did you find that that deck went on the day, did you, you lose any games at that, or did you lose any games with your other deck? Uh, yeah, so the Sunny did better than the Railgun did. Um, what were the weaknesses for Railgun? Uh, I think one game I lost to the sh a Shaper, a Diaper with Artist Colony, and basically all, basically the same sort of thing that we were worried about with the Sync deck, just have packing all the head cards and never running, and then waiting until you eventually died. <laughs> yep. Um, just because it's really hard to get into a situation where you can beat New Angeles City Hall and Plastreet and Citadel Sanctuary and etc. Yeah. Um, and then I also lost to uh, Sammy Woodland. We played each other in round one, and I think he dismantled me with uh, some Cypher Anarch. I can't remember whether it was Wizard or Kim. Like, one of those two, and then rebirth happened at some point um but it was yep. just the regular anarch thing and i couldn't find my pieces in time as far as i recall mm -hmm. um and what what are the agendas you said that the scoring plan is not particularly robust um is there exchange of information and or is there another plan to score out uh no the deck just has like three breaking news one um 15 minutes one GFI, one restructured data pool, one project deal, and is that enough points? And one Astro, I think that's enough points. Yeah. Um, so basically the only way you can score out is if your opponent is just 
realizes that they're dead if they run. So they're like you can maybe try, or if you can sneak out an astro early, which isn't usually a great game plan just because of how hard it is to get to seven. But like scoring out really is the like plan B or whatever in terms of your game okay. plans. Yeah. Um, because there's no exchange or anything, or not even um, the full set of GFIs anyway. So, And I guess another thing worth mentioning is that the reason this deck has seen a bit of prevalence, I know we discussed this a little bit last week, but the Aaron Maron factor, was that something that you found you saw on the other side of the board a bit? Uh, uh, you yeah. You were playing this? Yeah, I played against lots of Aaron Marons, uh, both in Criminal and in Anarch. I think it's a mm-hmm. fairly good choice to splash. Um, I, I've seen some, just because you know Anarchs really have a lot of good choices for influence nowadays. Um, and Aaron Maron does something that no Anarch card does, like nearly as efficiently in terms of helping not only helping your resource acquisition in the early game, but also protecting you from all manner of things mm-hmm. in the mid to late game. Um, and so. There weren't any situations where my opponent kept counters on Aaron Moran and it stopped me from just naturally 24-7 booming them. Um, which could have been a little annoying, but I think mostly my opponents just cycled through the Aaron counters in order to find more cards to pressure me before I could find the combo pieces, which I think blunts Aaron's effectiveness quite a lot. And I think that's the main, as you said, that's the main reason why Railguns increased in popularity now that Aaron Moran is almost universally um, the primary anti-tag and anti-damage, not like in the sense that no one plays Plasgrade or no one plays Sportopper, but if they do, um, it's in combination with Aaron. It deals with breaking news really well. Um, and it sounds like some of your opponents used it to try and outpace your power shutdown combo when that, what they could have u- done was use it to neutralize your breaking news threat. Is that a right... Is that a correct um, interpretation? Yeah, of what like you just said? definitely having two counters on it does cut off one of your lines of victory, which is naturally twenty four seven booming. Um, yeah, but it's not like um, that's your only way to victory. I suppose is my point. Like, so and because you have that other path to victory through power shutdown, does that uh, force runners to choose between spending their Aaron counters up front? to get more cards to try and outpace the power shutdown plan or keep them on Aaron to prevent your 24-7 natural plan. Yeah, exactly. Is that- uh, uh, yeah, so basically that's correct. And the fact that the deck very rarely scores agendas, basically you only score your two-for-ones so you can turn on 24-7 means that Aaron's basically only getting counters from steals. Yeah. Um, and so I think all those factors mean that it's quite a well, quite well placed in the metagame at the moment. Railgun or Railgun, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, I think we might move on. I know we haven't had much of a chance to discuss the Sunny Vamp list, but we might come back to that one a little bit later on. I think so. Yeah, I, I'm actually working on it at, as we speak. So I think I'll try playing those. I'll try getting a bit more experience with those two decks, and we'll report back. Sounds good. So, well done, Wilfie, on your second Store Champs win for the year. Um, And now I think we're going to move on to discussing the Daedalus Complex spoilers, which is the the first pack in the Red Sands cycle, the new cycle that's beginning. We were expecting that we might get Terminal Directive, the, 
uh, legacy style big box in between these two cycles, but it looks like we're going to get Daedalus Complex first. So we'll move into spoiler season for that, uh, and we'll start talking about the runner cards today. Uh, and then next week, we'll move on to the corp cards, which I have to say, before we started recording, we were getting pretty excited talking about the fact that the, the new Wayland uh, style of play with a new fast advance option and a new identity are coming in this pack, but we're going to have to wait one more week to talk about those. Um, and instead, we're going to start with Pushing the Envelope, which is an event run. It's an Anarch card. Cost three. It's two influence. Make a run. If you have two or fewer cards in your grip, each installed Icebreaker has plus two strength until the end of the run. Wilfie, does this belong in Genesis Cycle, or does it still have some utility here? Oh, uh, that's... Uh, I didn't think about that, but that's a fairly apt description. Um, it's a bit weird in the sense that I think it has a few to few more drawbacks than you might expect on a um event like this nowadays. I think the closest comparison is to injection attack, which is a card that has seen a little bit of play in Faust centered um anarch like Dumblefox style decks. Mm. Uh just because if you're using Faust as your primary breaker, it really gets tough to get into servers if your opponent can try can overwhelm you. Um and injection attack solves that a little bit but and so this is sort of similar um but applies to all of is sort of the reverse in the sense that you basically can't use it with faust um but i'm not sure like the strength of injection it also costs three yeah like the strength of injection attack in faust is that you just need faust injection attack and then you can probably get into most servers but this already requires you to have icebreakers installed that let you break ice so it's sort of only giving you an economic discount but it costs three to do so and just like it's so narrow it's i think in almost all situations like i understand that it works with fixies um unlike uh, just something like stimhack but the fact that you can only use it on big servers means that i can't imagine um slotting it into my deck in many in basically any circumstance Hmm. Yeah, the fact that the most common breakers outside of Faust, possibly even the most common breakers full stop, played in Anarch now are the suite that returns to play from the heap, mm -hmm. the paperclip cycle. Um, and those cards, the, the other two other than paperclip, are three to pump and break subroutines. So in order for this to give you value, you have to be using more than one of them in the run. So as you said, you have to have the it available to install. You have to know that you're going to be using more than one of them on that particular run. And even then, it's only giving you a three cost discount by the time you get to the second ice. And that's assuming that you weren't going to be able to break the first ice just by natural pump and break. Because this pump doesn't actually include the break, if you know what I mean. Yes. So you're paying three, but you're not actually breaking subroutines with your MK Ultra that you normally would. So for, that just makes it a pretty muddy economic equation, and it seems like it's pretty hard to get value out of it, particularly since it's got that extra two or fewer cards drawback. Yeah, exactly. I think the um, these kind of cards, I think, are not um, too bad in certain scenarios. Like, as I said, Injection Attack, I think, is a fairly playable card. Um, but this really doesn't have the numbers to get there. Mm. The next card is More, which is a great name for a console, I think, and I, I really quite enjoy the art. 
Um, we might but in terms of effects, <laughs> um, but in terms of effect, it's six to install, which is one more than the new Anarch benchmark of Cipher. It gives you plus two memory, similar to Cipher. Oh, it's three influence as well. Should mention that. Um, the first time each turn you access a card not in archives and do not steal or trash it, the corp must trash one card from HQ at random. So it's a once per turn effect. It's accessing cards from not from archives, so from remotes, HQ, or R&D. And if you don't steal it or trash it, the corp has to trash a card from HQ at random. To me, it seems like it could be a pretty powerful effect, but I'm not quite sure whether we've got a critical mass of trash from HQ effects at the moment. That was my initial thoughts. Do you have thoughts, Wolfie? Yeah, so I sort of see it like a reverse Cypher, where Cypher is good, against big ice if you can make few runs in a turn if you're planning to make only few runs in a turn and this is good against small ice when you can get in multiple times in a turn um uh-huh. so and it's pretty good against asset spam i guess yeah exactly like i think that's the main thing is that it's good in the matchups where cypher is bad which is mm. i think a good quality for a console that's going to always compete with Cypher to have um, Mm. is to be good in the reverse situations but I think Cypher from playing with with and against Cypher um, I've sort of come to the conclusion, maybe not completely accurate um, but I've sort of come to the conclusion that 5 is just so much in matchups where it's not going to be, not going to allow you to shut down your opponent's ice like by itself mm. like it's really hard to just install Cypher for value in the hope that you know your opponent's gonna res one big ice and you can instantly parasite you know take it once bounce off it once and then instantly parasite it down um, just because lots of decks don't have any good ice to Cypher and even the decks with some good ice to Cypher it's you know if you're planning to install Cypher you, you really need to get full use out of that five cost i think and so six um so i guess the point is that um index where cypher can't be a primary game plan or in matchups sorry where cypher can't be a primary game plan um just because your opponent's ice doesn't match up poorly against just in matchups where cypher doesn't match up well against your opponent's ice the five cost makes it really hard to justify putting it into play when it's not going to give you a lot of value. And I sort of see this as being similar, where you really need to know that you're going to trigger the ability basically every turn um, for it to be effective. And I can't see that happening, like, too much, just because if you're building your deck around more, then... Yeah, I do like the name. I've, I've come to the conclusion that, that I like the name a lot. If you're building your deck mm. around more, then it's, I think, fairly easy for your opponent to change their game plan so that they're minimizing the effect of more. Like, I think we'll have to see it um, in play. Like, the place I see it at the moment is in decks where you're sort of tunnel visioning on R&D and remotes and ignoring HQ. 
Um, so medium decks, maybe medium blackmail onto some things, but like Obelisk is already so good in those kind of decks, and um, that even though this is nice to have, I can't see it um, working as your primary game plan like a lot of the other Anarch consoles let you do. Yeah, I'm just wondering where the synergy really is. Like, yes, you might get essentially accesses on HQ by punishing them for not icing up other servers, or you might get essentially accesses on HQ by running R&D, both of which are, are good. But, and it does the Anarch thing of um, you have to ice up all three centrals in order to protect me from accessing your cards. Mm-hmm which also is good and it's similar to omar in that fashion uh but yeah i'm not i'm just not quite sure whether it's got enough synergies with other cards for a once per turn effect to be fast enough to combat some of those call strategies like if you're playing against an asset spam deck that's trying to buy or lock you out is making them trash a card from hq at random each turn enough to disrupt their game plan i don't know uh similarly if you're playing against a diagnostics combo trashing a card from hq at random could be helpful in that you could hit the combo pieces or you could not and if you're not if you're spending six on this to have one shot at that each turn and then needing to put significant resources into doing so is that enough i don't know i'm just not quite sure where whether the synergy is strong enough with the existing Anarch game plan. Like, it's so obvious that with Obelisk, you're accessing lots of cards with medium, you're refilling your hand, you're getting in again with your fast. Makes sense. Mm. Powerful effect and a lot of synergy. I think this effect is powerful. I'm just a little bit worried about the, the synergy at the moment. And also whether as a disruptive effect it's disruptive enough or as an access effect, whether it's accessing you enough cards to outpace those decks. Yeah, like, I, the way I see it, it's sort of more like a resource that you, you know, if it costs a bit less, didn't give you memory, you could put it in your deck, it would be good in matchups where you plan to trigger the effect every turn, but to have it use up your console slot, I think, really sets a high bar for playability. Yeah. Alright, makes sense. Uh, The next card is uh, The Archivist. It's a unique resource connection. It's an Anarch card as well. Uh, install one, influence four, gives you plus one link. Whenever the corp scores an initiative or security agenda, force the corp to trace one. If unsuccessful, take one bad publicity. This card seems pretty miserable. Um, Wilfie, your thoughts? Yeah, um, I haven't, to be honest, I haven't uh, thought about which agendas are initiative or security just because it hasn't really come up before in the game. But even if you just ignore that part, if you just think of it like whenever the corpse scores an agenda, the way I see it, the main runner advantage to bad pub is like, especially with the Anarch Breaker Suite, like particularly in Anarch, with the Breaker Suite being how it is, like um, mostly like some decks rely on use Data Sucker, some decks use Faust, and other decks use... Or, you know, usually the Anarch Breaker Suite uses some combination of Fixed Breakers, Faust, David, and um, the Return Cycle. Um, the main advantage to having Bad Pub is with Blackmail. Um, and so this sort of doesn't, of course, doesn't combo with Blackmail. Really, even a little bit. 
just because if it's really important to the corp, they can pay a lot, and most of the time it's not going to be important to the corp, but just like... And also at the point where they've already scored an initiative or security agenda, turning on your blackmail might not be the most useful thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I was thinking like, you know, you can just sit there and wait. If you really need to play blackmail in a non-Valencia um, deck, you could just yep. sit there and wait. Once they scored their first agenda, you can give them bad pub. But like, you know, once they score their first agenda, if they realize that you can only basically run with blackmail, then they can just pay to match you. Yeah. Um, it's not like you're guaranteed to give them a bad pub, I suppose, is the point. Um, yeah, especially if you haven't been forcing them to res ice along the way. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I don't really see where this fits in. Like, giving them sort of, getting value bad pub isn't really that great, I think. It isn't great enough to put a card in your deck that sort of only has that ability. Um, but I will say that it is, um, there have been, um, Anarch decks that play that require link sources for Underworld Contact and like, you know, something like that. Um, and if there are enough initiative or security agendas that see play, this could maybe get played there, but still that's a lot of ifs. Yeah, and it still has to be better than Sports Hopper, I think. For that same slot. For something that gives you link and gives you another benefit. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't really see it. Uh, just going back to more very briefly, one thing I just realized was that Bagat is a exactly what you're talking about and a resource version of that card that does a similar thing. So maybe that will help with giving you a synergy because both Bagat and more will trigger on a run on HQ. If you don't hit an agenda or trash a card, they have to trash two cards, uh, sorry, a card from HQ at random and the top card of R&D. And if you're doing that each turn, that might be enough value. So anyway, that's just something to think about. That's true. Um, but Bagat hasn't really seen much play in the past, so I think that sort of supports your point of the synergy thing. Like, that effect doesn't really have synergy with what Anarch wants to do at the moment. Yep. Excellent. Uh, the first criminal card in the pack is, sorry about that detour, back to, uh, back to more, but now we're moving on to Exploit, which is an event it's a criminal event, cost two, influence two. You can only play it if you made a successful run on R&D, HQ, and archives this turn. So the notoriety slash um, quest completed criminal version, derez up to three pieces of ice. Quite a powerful effect. Um, it's criminal's version of ice destruction. Derezzing has always been part of the criminal color pie and it's been more and less powerful depending on how much larger ice is played. Emergency shutdown requires a run on HQ, which is often feasible, particularly since criminals have a lot of ways to exploit runs on HQ anyway, so it has a natural synergy. Is a card that requires you to run on all three centrals as a criminal when there are already big ice up that make this valuable enough to play, which usually you would expect one or two of those big guys to be on either HQ or R&D. Does this card do enough um, to get around that? What do you think, Wilfie? I mean, possibly. Mm. D-Rising Ice is a pretty big drawback for the Corp. Yeah, the way I see it, it's sort of like a mega emergency shutdown. And emergency shutdown is already the kind of thing where it's like some of the time you won't play against 
um, decks where it's good and it won't do anything. So I'm just trying to think about whether you want a card that's more like that in the sense that in lots of matchups it just won't do a single thing, but in the matchups where it's really good it'll be amazing, or a card that's more versatile like Emergency Shutdown where, you know, if you can run HQ you can still derez like a 4 or 5 cost piece of ice and have it be still a good um, trade, whereas this is really like you have to derez multiple pieces of mid to large strength ice for it to really be worth it. Um, but still, like, the effect is so powerful that I could easily see it being good, at least in certain matchups, and the fact that you really don't want it until later in the game when there are ice resed already means that I could see one copy going in criminal decks of quite a few different kinds, especially ones that are a bit slower and trying to generate uh, resources with security testing rather than, you know, based off medium, like more like the Andromeda decks that we've seen than the Leela decks. Um, so I could definitely see this card being played just because it seems really hard to lose if you can land it in a board state where it's strong, but yeah. the amount of setup that it requires makes it narrow at best. Hmm. Um, yeah, would you I agree, agree with that? that? Yeah, I agree with that. The power level is really high. Setup requirement is also high. Differential between when it's good and when it's okay means that it's going to be a tough one, I think, to fit in decks. But as a one of, yeah, the power level makes it uh, worth consideration at least. Yeah, I think it's the it has all the hallmarks of a good tech card in the sense that. Um, in the mashups where it's good, you're going to usually have time to find it. Yeah. Like, in those, like, very slow... matchups against slower to very slow corps, usually you go through most of your deck. So if this card is a one-of in your deck, you're likely going to get a turn where you can set it up, basically, if you build your game plan towards it. Um, and yeah. whether that's good enough remains to be seen, but it's definitely possible. The next criminal card... And the final criminal card is called Spot the Prey. It's an event, costs two, it's two influence. Expose one non-ice card, then make a run. We've got a sort of version of one of the modes of Deuce's Wild here. Uh, still costs two. You get to expose a non-ice card though, and then make a run. Thoughts? Yeah, so it's sort of like... Um, Deuces Wild is only ice, right? Yeah, so it's the opposite. It's of a that. reverse Deuces Wild. Yeah, like yeah. generally, um, exposing non-ice cards is better than exposing ice, just because the main thing you're trying to expose, um, is a trap that you really don't want to run into. So mm -hmm. I think having cards that uh, I can't really say that this card really incidentally exposes. It's um. It's sort of like if it's in your deck, it's to expose those things just because it's like, you know, you might get some value out of seeing that the card in a big server is not something that you have to worry about. It's like an asset or something. What's the equivalent of a cantripping expose, right? Like you still get the other effect you were going to do with your click, but you're paying two to get yeah, the expose exactly. effect. But yeah, still you would only play it in your deck if you really wanted an expose effect. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But well, I guess what I'm saying is that's really the only thing it does is yeah. expose. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that actually there might, like, I would say that there might be room for expose effects, but maybe I'm just especially vulnerable to running into snares. <laughs> Have you ever died to a trap? Oh, frequently. I do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It's just like, realistically, I don't think expose effects are necessary enough for this card to be good, just because I think even looking at the same cost, you could play Inside Job, which is good in a lot more situations than this is. Yep. Like, it's... All right. Yeah, so... I think that sums it up pretty well. Yeah. The next runner card and the first Shaper card is called Biomodeled Network. It is a virtual resource, Hello Apex. It's one to install, two influence. You can trash it to prevent all but one net damage. So it's a reverse net shield, but it's not repeatable, and it's a resource. This seems pretty garbage to me, since it only hits net damage. Net damage is generally coming at you in smaller chunks than other types of damage. Um, and preventing all but one from a single instance doesn't seem worth a card slot, let alone a car uh, credit as well. Um, Do you have any different thoughts with me? No, yeah, I so, sort of see it like a decoy for net damage rather than tags, in the sense that, um, you know, you might very well want an anti-net damage card, but you're realistically not going to include one in your deck that isn't even going to be that good when your opponent's going to deal you net damage. Like, Shapers already yeah. have the best anti-net damage card, which is Feedback Filter. Um, the best card against, like, decks that are really trying to kill you, net damage, that is. Yeah. Um, and I guess, yeah, you said that it was good in Apex, but Apex already has Heartbeat, right? So mm -hmm. it's sort of not really... I can't... At 2 Influence, I can't see it being splashed into any other faction in order to provide you with a net damage hate card or to be played in Shaper. So, um, although I will say that the fact that it's a resource rather than a hardware means that it could be better in some narrow situations with Haley, um, just because I think for Haley it's much more important what your card types are, just in order to ma maximize the number of times you trigger the ability. But I'm not even sure in that sense it's better to be a resource than a hardware. So, yeah. Mm. All right. The next card in the pack is another Shaper card, Network Exchange. It's another virtual resource. More Apex food. Two to install, two influence again. The install cost of each piece of ice that is not installed in the innermost position is increased by one. This is a pretty powerful effect for two credits, I think, Wilfie. What do you think? Uh, yeah, so the wording, I think, originally tripped me up, but it's saying that basically the ice tax is increased by one. So, the yeah. yeah. Um, and is this a shaper ability is this something we've seen in shaper in the past because it reminds no. me of reina roja like that's yeah I think, cost the closest, increases the closest yeah comparison. cost increases and econ denial has not generally been something shapers do but this is a different sort of econ denial because rather than on res it's on install so i guess this might be a new part of the color pie that the designers are trying to open up that's true um the thing is it doesn't really strike me as being something that shapers really want i sort of see the main shapers nowadays is either being very slow combo like diaper where you basically don't worry about 
how many credits your opponent has. Like you're trying to decks where pacing your time is it pacing your time? What's pacing our time? Pacing our time, of course. Not only your time. No, it's um, all of our time. Um, decks where pacing our time is good. Um, By roads included. Or yeah, something like that. Um, like that, which encompasses like spy camera decks or any of those like sort of weird combo-y slow decks. Um, in which case this doesn't really support your game plan or the more mid-range stealth or cyphery decks where you're trying to install um, R&D, multi-access and run more conventionally. In which case I think this is a little better um, but it still sort of doesn't really synergize with your game plan in that, you know, it's not like you're fo- it's not like Diaper where you're forcing them to put all of their ice and R&D and incur lots of taxes like those I think it also doesn't really deal with the biggest weakness of those decks which is not dealing with ice but dealing with non-ice cards yeah because Shaper has so many efficient tools to deal with ice and if you're importing Cypher and playing that sort of mid-range Cypher parasite strategy you've got so much of your deck is dedicated to dealing with whatever threats they present in an ice sense but you really your weakness as a Shaper is dealing with assets and this just doesn't help at all yeah exactly i think the fact that we haven't seen any other cards which support this strategy in shaper or at least if we have we like not any ones that have been seriously playable means that it's probably not at the best place to be uh, used in shaper decks at the moment makes sense the last runner card in Daedalus Complex is a neutral card. Surprise, surprise. It is called Mad Dash. It's a run event. It costs zero. Zero influence. Make a run. When this run ends, add Mad Dash to your score area as an agenda worth one agenda point if you stole at least one agenda during the run. Otherwise, suffer one meat damage. So Freedom Through Equality required you, which had a similar effect from the Mumbad Cycle, required you to anticipate when you were going to steal an agenda but it was a current so you didn't have to steal it in that particular run you just had to steal it before they could get rid of your current this one you have to know exactly when you're going to steal the agenda but it's a lot cheaper what do you think yeah so i think freedom from equality freedom through equality is a quite a strong card and basically any card which lets you um accrue additional agenda points at your own terms has to be seriously considered, I think. Mm. And this does a good job of that by being very similar to a card which has already been played in the past. I think that compared to freedom through equality, um, the fact that you need to make a run, you need to score an agenda immediately isn't such a huge deal just because with freedom through equality you're mostly trying to steal an agenda very quickly anyway like usually you're trying to get either an agenda in a remote or an agenda on R&D in which case you don't usually have the resources to run multiple times on R&D to you know tra- trash some things and go again so I think mostly this is better than freedom through equality just because zero is such a huge dip from three um, suffering mm. one meat damage isn't really a huge deal. It's like when I saw a drawback like this, I expected it to be a brain damage or something where it might actually be 
a detriment over the course of the game, but taking a meat damage isn't really huge. Like, so I think this card definitely has the potential to see play in those slower shaper decks where you're using indexing or multi-access, or even maybe an anarch with medium. Just any mm. deck where you're using multi R&D multi-access to score most of your points in the later phase of the game. Cool. I agree with that. Yeah, the fact uh, that, oh, that just, oh, yeah, quickly, you yeah. Um, the fact that it works so well with medium, I think, means that yeah. it has a lot more latitude to be played than freedom through equality does. Um, because of its like it, those anarch anarch decks usually can't afford to pay three for freedom through equality for something which might not uh, do anything, whereas. This. Also, if you're synergizing with medium, this is a lot more compressed in terms of clicks. It saves you the click. Yeah, exactly. Like To install or to play. Yeah. Let's you see an extra card with medium, which can be really crucial. But yeah, I mean, the, the idea of free through quality or this bringing the number of genders you require to win the game often down from four to three is a big deal. Yeah, it's... Of course, we yeah we all know that that's basically a lot of the time that's the difference between winning and losing. Great. And I think that's a good note for us to finish up on this week. We've got some exciting cards coming up next week as we uh, as we foreshadowed next week, starting off with next Wave 2, uh, but also leading into the uh, quite puzzling Sync Bree. Does its subroutine actually do what it says or will it be errated? And then Jemison, Astro- Jemison Aeronautics? Astronautics. 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 Um, which... As we uh, foreshadowed also, along with Oberth Protocol, brings Wayland some pretty interesting new tools to try and win games. So looking forward to discussing those with you next week. Uh, If you want to get in touch with us between now and then, or at any time really, you can tweet us at Winning Agenda. You can check us out on Facebook at The Winning Agenda. You can email us at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. And if you feel like throwing a few dollars our way to support our work, you can head along to patreon.com slash the winning agenda thanks for tuning in i've been jesse marshall here with wilfred e horrig yes thanks for listening see you next week see you next week